My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Post Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at BroBible.com. Today, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Cade Onder, who you can find writing about video games over at ComicBook.com, and our halfway house of a co-host, Brandon Katz, who you can find doing analytical big brain things over at Parrot Analytics. Uh, boys, it's been a while. Happy thanks, happy belated Thanksgiving. Happy Brandon. Happy early Hanukkah. That's not for another yeah, like, uh, December nineteenth, I think. First December nineteenth. So okay, great, Cade. Happy. I am Christmas? a Christmas enjoyer. Christmas? <laughs> all right, you're a Christmas enjoyer. Merry Christmas to all. <laughs> we've been out. We've been off for the last few weeks. You know, holiday season is busy. I believe we're all romantically involved. So that takes up quite a lot of time at this time of the year um it's good to see you guys faces we have tons to talk about tons that have passed tons of things that are coming up in fact so much so we probably aren't going to touch on the andor finale which isn't really the end of the world because we spoke the week before that and while the finale was good i feel like we kind of hit all the main points that we needed to hit so if you want to hear that check out our previous podcast on this week's show we are going to be discussing the early reactions to avatar the way of water I just learned it's the way of water and not the way of the water last night, mm. um, which just shows how little <laughs> attention I've been paying. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Guardians of the Galaxy 3 trailer, the Indiana Jones 5 trailer, a little bit of White Lotus finale predictions for me and Brandon real quick. And, uh, and then we're going to do our holiday movie draft with Jordan Van Dyna. He is the writer of a Hulu comedy called The Binge. He's the, the director of its upcoming sequel. Great cast, out. by the way, for the for the 2021. Great yeah, the cast first one? Like, up and coming talent, yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, so he directed the sequel, which is like a Christmas-themed one. So that comes out on Friday, December 9th. I've followed him for a few years and like watched his climb, and it's been really cool. He wrote the Jonathan Majors Dennis Rodman film. I'm very excited for this movie. In the works, yeah. And I think that that's being produced by Lord and Miller as well. So, but before all that, let's talk about Avatar. All right. You guys have heard my voice for enough. Cade is an enthusiastic Avatar enjoyer. So, Cade, would you like to use this time to tell me I told you so? Yeah. I mean, downing James Cameron, not only just in general, but on a sequel. That's where his, his domain is. Aliens, Terminator 2. Come on, the best sequels of all time. I had not thought of that until now. And this is like, you know, his baby, right? So it's it's like even, you know, I understand. I think I I I just kind of started thinking about this the other day. The real test is going to be Avatar 3 because Avatar 2 is you know, 13 years of waiting. It's a thing people have been waiting for. Some people, not all people, but some people. Uh, there's a larger gap in like the technological leaps since then. You know, there's a lot more to do. So for this to be a box office success would not surprise me. The third one is going to be interesting. Like, do people care enough after seeing this movie? Does the story hook them in enough to be like, yeah, I'll come back in two years? Few things will ever top, uh, this is very inside baseball, but will ever top the prank that Eric and I's former boss played on me with John Landau, the the producer of Avatar, because early on in my media career, I, I thought I was so cool making it like my personality to hate on Avatar, the original one, which... <laughs> 
a movie I, I don't really like that much. I'm not, I'm not sure. going to lie. Like it's absolutely entertaining in spots. The visuals are great, but I just never liked that movie. But yeah, that prank was great. We can get to that a little bit later, but um, I, I've totally swung the other way in the 13 years since not only as I've come to like appreciate James Cameron's imprint on filmmaking as a whole, not only as I've come to understand the business um, a lot more and been like, holy crap, this guy has two of the three highest grossing yeah. movies of all time. And it's it's not a matter of if, Cade. What, Avatar 2 is going to make bank. Right, yeah. It just matters how much bank. Is it going to be all of the bank? Exactly. Most of the bank? We're going to find out. And then just something so so silly, so dumb, that just only you three, not even anyone listening, was probably going to be entertained by. I cannot help but think every time someone says Avatar the way of water, I'm just like something in the way of water. <laughs> every time, that's what my brain does. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, look, I like to think of myself as somewhat self-aware. So, like, I have to just fucking take the L on this one. I've been shit. Look, I think that Avatar was probably an unbelievable theatrical experience at the time. I've long said that CGI is not necessarily something that I look for in film. So I, so I think going back and watching it, I have just, in a similar way that I'm not able to connect to A New Hope because it looks old to me i will never be able to like have that experience of being alive in 2000 i mean i was alive (laughs) but like being a movie going person and going to the theater being like wow avatar you know back then i was all dark night all the time i couldn't i couldn't give a fuck less and i feel like when you go back and watch it on your 55 inch screen at home i find it to be aggressively formulaic i don't think that there's anything i mean he has been accused of ripping off yeah, I mean, uh, the story the, is just rehashed, uh, you know, right. recycled bits from better stories. Right. And then I've said to Cade, I find the sort of uncanny valley-ness of like rooting for blue creatures to just be a roadblock to emotionally invest. Like I can't, like usually when I see a classic protagonist trying to get laid by the hot lead, I'm like, go for it, buddy. I want to be you. When it's a fucking blue alien from space, as gorgeous as Zoe Saldana is, it's just not the same. So look, you know the, uh, the whole trivia with with what James Cameron insisted on. I've with, heard, uh, I've heard this. So so he, James Cameron <laughs> insisted. He absolutely insisted that the Navi have breasts, even though I, I I don't understand the biology, but like they're not like necessarily like. Uh, reproductive mammals in the way we are they wouldn't necessarily need breasts i can't remember what but he's yeah, like yeah. it'll it'll make it more appealing to the audience and they'll be able to root for the romance more i was like yo my guy if your strategy comes down to putting breasts on seven foot tall blue aliens i just don't know if that's fully coalescing <laughs> i disagree because i would think that that's what makes him genius right it's that subliminal subconscious shit that he there is a level to that yeah well you just said you're not, <laughs> you can't get behind like the the right but it, oh, but just the crash. fact that he's like these creatures need tits yeah show me that he's like aware of the shortcomings of <laughs> yeah the construction of rooting for foreign creatures all it's right, ridiculous but it does it does make sense they needed more ass with all that said (laughs) this is going so off the rails (laughs) i am not going to back down off of my dunking on of the original film but because of that dunking on it i've long said like i don't think that it's gonna overtake endgame i don't know if people are are, oh you still think no 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 i I don't think it's gonna i i personally don't think it's gonna cross two billion but like i think you're talking like one one six one eight billion you know one of the biggest hits you know of the year okay 
So I've just always kind of compounded my dislike of the first for a lack of need for a second. However, I've also long said that I'm expecting to like the sequel more than the first because the technology has caught up. And I just think that now it's more of a familiar world. So there's less of a like, hey, here's all the Navi and all that bullshit. You can just kind of dive in. And it turns out it's fucking great. And I have no doubt it's going to be great. And I'm seeing it next Monday. I think it comes out the following Friday. And that's life. Sometimes you take shots and you miss and you're wrong. And that's me right now. James Cameron. I think what's bothered me about it so much is that he hasn't really made a non-Avatar film since Titanic. Yeah, he hasn't made it. I mean, he's produced things, but yeah, I mean, he hasn't directed anything. Some he documentaries. He made that one like underwater, right? There yeah. was that one. It was like a best. documentary. But so I just had a frustration with this genius filmmaker spending such a long time of his career that, on this. That's my thing too. Like the, arguably the most visionary filmmaker of the last you know 50 years is finishing his career with one single franchise that is built on a rather simplistic idea that's what's disappointing to me i'm still excited for avatar 2 i'm sure it's gonna you know blow my socks off but you know when you compare a uh, uh, cameron to like a spielberg or other filmmakers of his stature his filmography is so short like you yeah. just said he's made two <laughs> movies in the last 30 years it's crazy you i would have to check the facts but like Steven Spielberg might be as productive as ever these days. He's yeah, had two he, yes, films dropping less than the last 12 months alone. Yeah. And you got to so, remember on this press tour, Cameron has said, I literally have 10,000 ideas. I have binders and binders of ideas. So again, the most inventive director, director of our generation only committing to one of those ideas. That's what's disappointing to me. I agree. Um, one last thing before we, we move on. If that's what you're doing. Uh, yeah. Brandon, I want to know, China is in a weird place right now with all their COVID stuff. How does that, and, and they talked Avatar 2 will release in China, which is kind of a big deal because Disney hasn't had the best relationship with them over the last couple of years. Do you think that has an impact on its chances to be very successful? Yeah. I mean, you got to remember that the original Avatar made so much, almost $300 million just in China alone. And Again, we've seen Hollywood films be really hit or miss in China over the last two to three years. It's not the guaranteed box office cash cow that it once was, but Avatar is an exception. When the original one came out, they only had 25 IMAX theaters in the entire country, and they made about $15 million or so. It was, it was the, one of the craziest per screen averages I've ever seen in my entire life just from those. They now have 70,000 movie theaters. And yes, COVID has closed, I think, 40% of movie theaters as of right now. But the fact is that they have 10 times more movie screens overall in the country than sure. they did 13 years ago. I, I think it's it's a guarantee for nine figures. I, I would be surprised if it was less than 200 million. Wow. Fucking Cameron, man. I, you know, that's really kind of it. All right. Uh, <laughs> next, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 trailer dropped last week during CCXP, which is like Brazil's Comic-Con. Don't forget. Where are we came from? We have been running our whole lives. I will say while the MCU movies over the last year or two have been of varying quality, their trailers have not. Every time they drop a first trailer for a film, I'm like, they're back. The boys are back in town. Let's <laughs> fucking go. Guardians, I am extremely biased towards because I 
think that the original is the best film in the MCU. I think that the sequel has its problems, but the third act is as complete of a third act as the MCU has. B, you put this out in a tweet. I think I agree. There's a good chance that this movie takes it over the top to, to make it the best MCU trilogy of all time, certainly considering how Iron Man films are not even close. Cap is probably the one who owns that title right now. Yeah. Thor 4 kind of Thor 4 and 2 are both complete garbage. So what about this trailer made you feel that way? I think the same thing everyone else has been saying for the week since it released. I mean, this just looks so unbelievably emotional. It's James Gunn's bread and butter ringing a, a true, true pathos out of outsider characters that don't feel like the, they belong and have they enjoy a found family, people they choose to make their family, not who they're born with. And I just think when you combine that with the kind of colorful otherworldliness that and the idiosyncratic, idiosyncratic humor that is the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. I mean, this trailer just looks absolutely wonderful. And I, I think Guardians 2 is a step down from Guardians 1, like most people do. But there's no denying that the Yondu sacrifice scene and the subsequent funeral is one of the most emotional and satisfying moments of the entire Marvel franchise, not just the Guardians franchise. So, you know, I, I think James Gunn is just, he's got it. He's got it. It's a very simple argument. He's got it. Yeah. Yeah. I um I'm glad they worked out whatever that weird roadblock was when he got fired, whatever the fuck that was all about. Yeah. Uh oh because, that's right. That yeah. Yeah, because we would have had this movie already had that not happened, probably. Um so yeah, it's it's uh good to have him back to finish this story because one, I don't even know if they would have attempted to do it without him. I think it would have been weird. Uh, I don't know if anyone can replicate that, and I don't think you can do it differently. I mean, the, uh, the chatter was that they did approach filmmakers, and all of them kind of out of like a loyalty to yeah. you know, a kinship within the community were like, nah, that's that's guns. Sure, yeah. yeah. It's distinctly his thing. And uh, I think it looks uh, very beautiful, and I like that there is some, some darkness that seems to be infused in all of that beyond just death. Like, it's just like uh this knowing where you come from and all that stuff which has been a theme throughout the trilogy but seems to be really leaning into that for rocket this time which i'm very excited about i think bradley cooper like do you guys forget sometimes that bradley cooper plays rocket it's fucking no, bizarre because i think it's one of the most <laughs> genius movie star contracts deals that have been yes. done in the last 15 years because he's been able to have his name on these posters, mm -hmm. get the sort of cachet and money that comes with it without having to commit remotely as much time. Yeah. And then there's also the fact, like, unlike Vin Diesel, who's just saying, I am Groot over and over again, <laughs> yeah. you know, Rocket has somewhat of a legitimate arc. Yep. He's a pretty big character in Endgame. So, like, mm -hmm. you know, I just, I, I get your point because oh, yeah. he's so you don't hear him at all in that role. And that's why those videos of him recording it go viral every time they pop up. Mm -hmm. Cause you're like, your brain struggles to compute the two. But yeah, I, I, I think it's a wise decision to sort of, I mean, look, I actually don't think that he's the number one character that's most likely to die. And we'll mm -hmm. talk about that shortly. But I just think that the way that James Gunn, as B said, is able to ring uh, I'm going to just take his words, genuine emotion out of outsiders. But I think compounding that is 
not only is it the what's he he's calling the last ride <coughs> for the Guardians, it's his likely last ride at Marvel. Mm-hmm. But when you take into the like the probably career context of what he considers to be the franchise that changed his life, like there is for him, there's post Guardians and pre. That is where that is except for the day he got married. It's probably what defines the two time two sides of his life. So when your filmmaker has already a track record of imbuing humor in even the strangest of films when he himself is probably in a very nostalgic, emotional, reflective state. The fact that we're getting that coinciding with a plot arc that not only facilitates, but arguably necessitates some of them finally dying, Mm -hmm. you know, there could be something special here. Yeah. His movies have heart. Like they're emotional, not because they're like, oh, my favorite character died. It's like emotional because you're on that journey with a character who's growing and experiencing real things. I mean, like they start the first one with a little kid's mom dying from cancer. cancer. It's a tough scene to watch. It's really hardcore. And, you know, I have a very special connection with my mom and like that hits me hard. And that's that's something that's carried throughout all of the movies. Everyone kind of has somebody, you know, amongst all these characters or they've been robbed of something. And that's the thing that unites them. And I, I think it's a very beautiful story that exists within the MCU and is, is strengthened by the MCU. But like, if it wasn't, if this had come along pre Iron Man would be fucking just amazing. And I think more people would probably watch it if it wasn't, you know, like part of a long running saga. And I want to just note the holiday special, which could either feel like a cute one-off or a cash grab, sort of depending on how you look at it. Seeing the trailer, what I'm realizing it does is it adds to time spent with these characters that ultimately might make chapter three hit all the more. Real quick, let's shoot our shots. Which characters do you think are going to die? I will start. I don't think that Rocket, I mean, I do think he's going to... I'm off put by how obvious the trailer seems to be making it. So that means one of two things. It's a bait and switch or they're selling that as like, here's our death, but they have maybe an equal card up their sleeve because there's no way that they would give away their main emotional beat in the trailer if that was the only one. So I actually think Nebula is the number one character that's going to die because she is sort of at the end of a legitimate villain to hero arc and her death would be just as emo maybe not just as emotionally satisfying but probably as emotionally impactful considering i think the dynamic that she's had with gamora over the last few films and sort of that very touching scene that she has with tony stark and endgame they've done a lot to humanize her over the last few films i think that that will coincide with her death and i think rocket is obviously number two and then i have drax at three I think it's very interesting to think about it like this. All of the Guardians died in Avengers Infinity War besides Nebula and Rocket. And I don't think you can kill any of the other ones without it feeling like, oh, we're doing this again, right? Like you already felt that kind of loss. I know they are not the most significant losses in that movie, but like um, the only one I would say out of those that did die that could maybe be on the chopping block is Drax. I think he has had, you know, a, a tragic backstory, even though he's like probably the funniest character. He is seen as comedic relief. He does have a very tragic backstory and, and has a lot on his on his plates. 
And Dave Batista does not seem to want to be doing this anymore. So right. <laughs> I can totally see him just getting written out. Uh, but otherwise, I would probably say Rocket. Yeah, I actually have long been saying that I think it's going to be Drax as well. I think what we were talking about, why we kind of like gun style. And I think one huge reason is because the humor and the emotion go very hand in hand and they're very complimentary within the same beat. And I go back towards guardians one when uh, I believe it's, it's Nebula, it's somebody yelling at, at uh, Gamora and just like screaming at her and saying all these horrible things. And Drax just blasts them and says, <laughs> nobody talks about my friend that way. Some, some Something right. like that. So it shows he's willing to kill for his, fa- his friends, his family. Now we move to he's willing to die for his friends and family. I, I think that is kind of the ultimate full circle sacrifice moment for his character. You, you made a good point, Kate. Yes, he, he's one of the many who got dusted in Infinity War. So perhaps there's a little bit of that but you know they did kill gamora even though they've all already brought her back a, a second right. time so it's not necessarily <laughs> out of the wheelhouse and also to your point real life uh circumstances dave Bautista doesn't really seem interested in, in working with marvel much longer or at least post gun so i think you have a lot of pieces falling in place both within the story uh, of his character and in the real world that make a lot of sense for him dying and the obvious choice which is rocket you know being a bit of a red herring all right, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 hits theaters May 5th, second MCU film of next year and second MCU film of Phase 5. Moving on to the next big trailer that was dropped last week at CCXP, Indiana Jones 5. I miss the desert. I miss the sea. I miss waking up every morning, wondering what wonderful adventure the new day will bring to us. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, I believe that hits theaters on June 23rd. Who wants to lead? I have thoughts, but I just would like to see where your brain and heart goes first thing. Well, I was surprised by how many people I saw. It wasn't a majority, but I saw a lot of people shitting on this trailer, and I was shocked because i'm like this looks fucking awesome and they're like oh we're doing indiana jones again let it go and i'm like yeah but it's james mangle this is like doubting james cameron so uh i i think it's it's ridiculous to even have a doubt in your mind this will be good at the bare minimum and uh yeah what what did you just think of the trailer there weren't many callbacks but there were a few like the boulder so I would say that James Mangold's involvement over anything is what gives me hope in this because, you know, I don't think he's made a bad film since 20, 2010's Night and Day, which, you know, isn't even diabolically bad. It's no. just given the context. Have you rewatched the- it recently? <laughs> no. Dude, it's entertaining. It's There's like funny bits. Like Tom Cruise is great. Yeah, no, I know. I know. Yeah. So I, I, I'm just saying like in the context of Mangold's career, right? Yeah. But what I think makes him so perfect for this film is that the that Indiana Jones, the character and the films are that perfect middle ground between the superhero-ness of Logan and the dadness of Ford v. Ferrari. And choosing gun uh gun, mangled, James, James, all these fucking guys. It's like the Christus. Uh <laughs> Choosing him just seems like such an on-the-nose pick, and that is why I have faith in it. I will say that 
you know, I don't think it's hard to make a nostalgic trailer, especially when that actor and the score are that iconic. But because I know what Gunn can do with Logan, which was both a franchise concluder and the best thing that the franchise has ever made, I have no reason to doubt that he could do that again. I will say that my uh, the de-aging thing, you know, it, I think it looks good. I'm concerned about the action scenes in which he's not de-aged. You know, that's always a gamble considering he's in his late 70s when they shot this. My final point was that I found it promising that, uh, is it Phoebe Waller-Bridge, right? Is that it? Her character seems to be the second lead of the film, but they barely use her in this teaser at all, which like suggests to me that she's kind of the ace up the film's hole and is probably going to... Uh, ace up the film's hole. Ace up the film's sleeve and uh, probably steal the film. I wouldn't be surprised if they purposely did not lean into her much be given all the people who are like oh she's gonna replace harrison ford uh because i mean like not that she sounds like she's going to james mangle has come out and said like there's only one indiana jones so doesn't seem like it's the case but i imagine they're like let's just not do that because we can give her time later but we only have one chance to make a proper introduction to this you know new version of indiana jones I mean, I just, you know, he mangles a shockingly competent filmmaker, just extremely consistent. So there's no doubt this is going to be at least a, a, a solid swashbuckling adventure, if not more. I just personally don't care about the Indiana Jones film <laughs> franchise. I don't have any ill will towards it. I like all three movies. I just, I was introduced to it at an older age. You know, I was in, I was in college, I think the first time I watched it for the first time. And, you know, it just doesn't hold that reverence that other franchises and other nostalgia plays do. So I, I just don't give a shit. All right, final news topic of the week. The White Lotus has, you know, this show, I didn't catch up to season one until a few weeks ago, months ago, in fact. And this is a show that I would watch if the quality remains somewhat at the same point, endless amounts of years of, because the way that it just blends straight up comedy, but also subtle satire with like mystery thriller vibes, but also genuine sort of drama vibes. It's sort of the perfectly percolated show in terms of its balance of tones, right? So we haven't covered it much this year. We are not going to do so going forward. I just think it would be fun to sort of predict who we think is going to die in the finale, given that the premiere promised us at least two dead bodies. So I'll start. I, I actually think what makes this show fun is that I really don't have a real clue who's going to die. If I was going to bet, I probably would not bet on it because I don't have a solid genuine feeling either way i will say that i think jennifer coolidge's tanya who is the only main character that returned from season one and seems to be in a pretty precarious spot i think she lives because i think bringing that character back to just die is kind of like weirdly boring i do think that one of the escorts die because they're one of the most likable characters and then therefore i feel like it would hit the hardest if one of them were to die especially since they've kind of really done nothing yes they're trying to help themselves but they've also helped others along the way whereas every other character seems to just be throwing everybody in their lives by the wayside for themselves and then my final take is that i i don't really think any of the four in the aubrey plaza crew are gonna die because if you go back to that first scene, Daphne, who's the wife of that douchebag chick who showed off his dick, she doesn't look like she recognizes the body. Like, I feel like if you came across a dead body that you knew, you would like yell their name or try to help them. She does neither of those things and hightails it the fuck out of there. So my three takes are Tanya lives, 
one of the escorts dies and all four of the Aubrey Plaza crew survives. B? I think my main theory, which isn't exactly, you know, over the top is kind of obvious, is that Greg, Tanya's wife, is in business with um, the owner of the house, whose name I can't remember, and that he is trying to team up with him to kill Tanya. And because, you know, there's been a lot of hints, not only the the dream she had in episode one, where she she was with a lot of men with effeminate hair, that's kind of predicting that she would fall into to this crowd. Uh, we know Greg has been been concerned about uh, money and their and their prenup. We know now from the fake nephew that the guy who owns the house needs money and is about to come into money. And it just seems like they're set. And we also know that he fell in love with a Wyoming cowboy, which struck a nerve with Tanya, because that is where Greg, Greg, I believe, uh, said he was from. So I, I think that's probably the ploy or it's either that or something completely innocent. And Greg is literally just going back for like normal reasons and isn't up to anything at all. And then whoever dies, I think we just have to remember in season one that we had all these theories and then the most obvious candidate was the one who died. So either Mike White, the creator, is going to repeat that formula again or swing so far the other way where it's going to be the the least expected. So, you know, I I don't really know which one I side with. Uh, I like this season a lot. I still think season one was better, but I think it's also a testament that I don't know who's going to die and I'm not necessarily hung up on guessing. I'm just kind of invested in the story as it plays out. So we'll say, I don't know. All right. I, I don't think it'll be Portia. That's become a popular, oh. popular Twitter theory in the last week and a half. Really? Yeah, that'd be fucked up. That'd be I mean, super. A, her a, death would be super dark. Yeah, that a twenty-two-year-old innocent, you know, girl. I, I'm like, that's that's intense. All right, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, our holiday movie draft. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And folks, we are back for our holiday movie draft. Today, we are joined by a special guest, Jordan Van Dyna. Yes. with Vagina, which- with Vagina, you nailed it. Conveniently only took me three tries to get that right. Jordan is the writer of the Hulu comedy, The Binge, which dropped in 2020. He is also the writer and the director of The Binge 2. It's a wonderful binge. That drops on Friday, December 9th. He's also writing the Jonathan Majors 48 Hours in Vegas project. Jordan, I have been following you for a few years now. Our website has been writing about you for a few years now. So I just wanted to say thank you for coming on the show. It is awesome to see your career, where it started and where it's grown to at this point. And I just want to thank you for your time today, man. Thank you for having me. What a treat for me to be here for all of you guys. I mean, what a delight I am. Uh, But yeah, no, you guys have been writing about me since... uh, my weekend scripts, uh, Fast Nine, The Fast and the Fuhrer, they go back to race Hitler. It's a classic script. Uh, so yeah, you guys have been big supporters of me and uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. So we brought you on this week because The Binge 2 is a holiday-themed stoner party comedy. We figured what perfect time, what perfect guest to have somebody draft holiday movie films with us. Now, I want to be clear, this is holiday movies. This doesn't have to be Christmas films. It doesn't even have to be a directly Christmas movie. If Christmas somewhat exists in the background, 
that counts too. Is, is Thanksgiving fair game? Thanksgiving is fair game. So I'd say holiday season is a way to look at it. So like Thanksgiving to like New Year's Eve, I think it's the sweet spot of where we're at. Like, I don't want to hear you take Top Gun because it's a July 4th film. You know, that, Top Gun so that is was a Christmas movie. Everyone knows it. Everyone's been saying it. Top Gun 2. <laughs> is Groundhog's Day. Because uh, I feel like we're getting a little bit of Groundhog's Day right now. <laughs> yes. yes, a little inside baseball for, for the first time ever. I forgot to record, so you're hearing fake friendship right now. But look, uh, I think Groundhog's Day doesn't it take place during Christmas? Is isn't Groundhog's Day like historically in like February? Yeah, so I don't I don't think it actually counts. I was making a joke. Yeah, oh. All right, because I was gonna say if there's snow on the ground, I think a case can be made. Now, Jordan, because you are our guest, you will go first. B, because you are our, our second guest you will go second Kate I assume you would like fourth I'd like are you going third no I was going to give you what you want I think fourth is better <laughs> if you say it's better I'll take it sure why not because you get two back to back okay I like that okay yeah yeah I'll go third and then Kate you will go fourth Jordan with that said please lead us off I say we start from the top of the podcast one more time. I want to hear you say my name again. Let's see if you get it. No. Uh, this is this is my number one pick, Just Friends with Ryan Reynolds. A classic vintage Reynolds, Julie Haggerty, Anna Ferris, Chris Klein. Everyone loves it. A classic Christmas movie. If you haven't seen it, it features one of the great douchebag characters of all time and Chris Klein's dusty Ryan is in that pre-Deadpool post-National Lampoon sweet spot of like, he's hilarious, but he clearly looks like a leading man. So they're like, wow, we could sell the shit out, this guy. Cade, if you, uh, since I, I mean, you haven't seen The Matrix 2, so I have no doubts that you haven't seen Just Friends. Go check that one out. It's probably like one of the raunchier Christmas films as well. I, I don't know if it's R, but it should be. Uh, B, you are up next. In the many drafts I've had on this podcast, I've tried to sometimes do what I think my taste is 100%. I've tried to win the draft on the vote by doing the commercial things. This time, I'm going to try to balance both. So with the second pick, I'm going to take an absolute stone-cold classic pioneer of the genre, Die Hard, best Christmas movie ever. No explanation is needed beyond that. I was going to say, like, the Die Hard rule, right? And it's sort of like the porn rule. You can't really define it, but you know it when you see it. And Die Hard is inextricably, whether it be like a sixth sense thing because of the conversation that surrounded it for so long, it is now a Christmas movie strictly by virtue of the conversation. Yeah. You know, you're saying I'm... every porn movie is a Christmas movie. Is that what you're getting at? Is that what the uh, porn There's a lot of white stuff. So, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, look, Die Hard is, a, and, and not only is it holiday film, but it is probably what one of the most iconic action films in general of the last 50 years. I'm going third, right? Yep. Yep. All right. So third, I'm on the same page as B. I'm trying to like, sometimes I try to win. Sometimes I just go for my own heart. In the spirit of the holidays, though, I am going to follow my heart. I don't really care if I win this draft at all because I am trying to stay true to myself. There are a couple films that I want to take because Cade, that sneaky fucker, you see how you could barely see him in that dim lighting? <laughs> He's a sneaky fucker, and I'll come up and I'll steal my picks. So I'm being brave here, and I'm going to take the risk on that one. Number one, I'm taking Batman Returns. I had that on my list, but it yes. wasn't my number one. I knew it. I knew it. You fucker. Exactly. <laughs> well, played. well played. Merry Christmas, Kate. No, seriously, look. Yeah, Batman Returns. 
Batman Returns is the superior of the two originals. I think that that has Agreed. gone from like an under the radar hot take to sort of the general consensus. I think it's probably, even though it's less commercially sellable, I think it was more commercially entertaining. It's bigger, it's faster. It is inextricably tied to Christmas. There is snow covering throughout the entire film. Gotham looks gorgeous. Pre-Batman Begins, you can make the case that it's the best Batman film of all time. Even though he's more of a Halloween character, you've got Danny DeVito's Penguin as one of the most disgusting creatures film has ever produced. Uh, and then Jordan, I'm not sure if you know this, Kate and B and the folks who tune into the show certainly do. I'm a Batman nut. So this was always going to be my top choice. And i that's why, Kate, I sneakily tried to bump you back to fourth. <laughs> but I do, generally think that I, I, I do generally think that fourth is the better pick. I had a feeling you were going to try to pull some bullshit, but uh, okay. Uh, I'll start with planes, trains, and automobiles. Classic. You didn't think the younging had seen this movie, did you, Aaron? No. <laughs> I am genuinely actually impressed that you even know what it is, let alone seen it. It's a great fucking movie. I mean, that's like the seminal holiday movie. That's like uh, a really like great comedy, but also has like some touching little holiday themes. Uh, and the scene where the car catches on fire and you see their like skeletons for a second, which takes it like otherwise somewhat grounded movie and just like breaks the fourth wall kind of for a second. One of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Um, I was talking about this a lot recently because we tried to do it in binge too. Cause John Hughes has done it multiple. He did it in home alone mm-hmm. where Daniel Stern becomes a skeleton yeah, and yeah. then playing trains and automobiles. And then binge two is fucking crazy. And I was like, we could do it too. A guy will turn to a skeleton and we shot it and it looks so stupid. (laughs) That's why he's a genius. He pulled it off in a normal movie and I couldn't pull it off in a stupid movie. So (laughs) but I like that. These are the lessons you learn as you become a director. You're like, oh, wait, I I might not yet be John Hughes. They don't teach you that in film school. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I I think it's just a fantastic movie. And they just had like a 4K re-release or something, right? And there's like a ton of deleted John Candy footage on it that Mm. I want to watch. Like I haven't seen this new version yet, but I'm going to probably go get it very soon. I think what makes this such an ultimate Christmas holiday time film is it hits that sweet spot of like if you're 63 or if you're like 17, everyone in the house can watch it and enjoy it. I agree um for my second pick this is kind of not not outside the box but i don't think it's gonna be like on a lot of people's lists the night before with oh okay joseph gordon levitt seth rogan uh i think that movie is hilarious has nathan fielder in it as a crazy ass limo driver michael shannon too is so funny uh, in that. Yes, yeah. drug dealer who <laughs> turns into an angel at the end it's so uh, <laughs> that's one of my few that i like i probably probably have no more than five that I watch each year. And that is undoubtedly one because I think that it's like relatable as fuck. Cause it sort of hits that like Thanksgiving Eve night out with your boys that we could all relate to. But then as Jordan said, that sort of fantastical element of like, is this all a dream type thing, which allows for both realistic, like dudes night out comedy, but also like stoner. Am I dreaming laughs as well? Yeah. Uh, all right. That means uh, it's back to me now. Um, I am going now, Kate. This is the one that I was terrified that you were going to pick even more so than Batman Returns. 
because you've taken it in another draft of ours and that's and this might be the first controversial pick of the draft but i think that i can make a strong case for it you've taken this in our steven spielberg draft and i am taking catch me if you can <laughs> okay that is unconventional. my argument is that <laughs> their christmas day phone calls provide like a narrative framework okay. for basically the second half of the entire film they i think they chat on christmas three times they bring it up every time they're like it's christmas you're on your own so are you and that and then at the end leo i think literally screams it's christmas i think he goes to his mom's new family's house who are celebrating christmas so i think that this is you know a, in that diehard zone of like yes it's not a christmas movie but it is existing and occurring during christmas and not only that, but it uses the holiday as a sort of time construction to show you how the years have passed. That's a fringe one. That's a fringe pick. They say the word Christmas, which is the only, uh, <laughs> I guess. but I'll, I'll take it. I'm accepting it. B, I, I think I sold B. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with it. I, I think one part of the instruction behind the scenes, if you guys can get into the podcast, podcast movie, Making Magic, was that Eric prompted us to like get creative. If you can make an argument, you know, so he gave the example of Spider-Man being a Thanksgiving movie. I, I like that. I think that was a creative kind of side doorway in. I'm, I'm buying it. Okay. okay. All right. So here I'm going with another classic, a bit more of a contemporary classic. I think probably the funniest Christmas movie and what was a surprise hit in Hollywood. And that is Elf. Uh, you can't really go wrong with Will Ferrell and John Favreau. That team is great. It's a, it's a, extremely relatable even for a jew such as myself i still love it and i'm not a huge christmas movie guy so i just think when you're talking about classic foundational pillars we've got die hard which is you know 40 years strong one of the greatest movies of all time now we've got elf to really kind of take our our millennials and cement that base of the voters you just you're not going to find a funnier movie about the holidays than elf now, do you I, think, uh, besides my movie, of course, yes, of course, excuse Elf me, is the last big like holiday movie that people rewatch every year? Or is there one after that that people are like, this is a classic now? I, feel uh, like yeah, no, I, I have actually talked about this with my girlfriend because she's a huge, huge, huge Christmas movie buff. And we both agree that but Elf is like Jewish, too, right? He's also Jewish. And yet, as you can see, we have we have a mini Christmas tree. <laughs> she loves Christmas. I, I, I don't quite understand it, but you know what? I respect it. <laughs> And no, we we agree that it is one of the one. First of all, it's one of the last huge studio comedies with staying power. You know, you had the Hangover trilogy afterwards, but outside of that, you don't really see a lot of theatrical breakouts. And, and two, yeah, it, it is in that you know uh, uh, that vein where it is seasonal relevance that keep coming back, and it's very hard to generate that. So I, I think Elf is is a true contemporary classic. You don't think that there's any element of Will Ferrell nostalgia overratedness to it? No, I, I don't. I think it's incredibly funny. It's not a raunchy comedy. He proves that he can have a kind of four quadrant role. The only egregious thing looking back on it is Zoe Deschanel with blonde hair. Oh, wow. I just had that. like a Vietnam yeah. War flashback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing, but otherwise, you know, perfectly lovely performance. And the blonde hair nearly tanked the box office. But yeah, also, Artie <laughs> Lang, uh, really one of Artie Lang's last powerhouse performances before he, uh, he fucked it all up. 
Yeah. Hello, Hoboken resident Artie Lang. He lives up the block. I've seen him on some dark days. Yeah, I think they're all, they're mostly dark days, but still very fun. (laughs) Yeah. And I will just say about that, that like, you could make a case that like, you know, there's of course Spielberg and there's like the likes of like Sean Levy in the last few years. But like, when you look at Elf and you remember that John Favreau also made like Iron Man, he's one of the most populous directors that we have. Really? And I think that ability to do Elf, Iron Man, The Mandalorian, and like throw Chef in between that just speaks to like what a well-rounded creative mind he is. And if you want to talk about commercial success and nothing with critical, you know, Jungle Book and Lion King, two movies I I don't love, but made billions for Disney. You just cut out again. But yes, he did. (laughs) I I read your lips. He 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 did do that. Blew the mic, you were so surprised. <laughs> no, because because that's like the eighth highest grossing film of all time. It's massive. It is the weirdest thing, considering I've never met an actual human who's seen it. Neither have I. I've never seen it at all. <laughs> we all just <laughs> shook our heads like, no, nope, neither. <laughs> and also, you're forgetting Swingers, too, which is still as bad. Yeah, of course. All right, Jordan, just like Cade, because you're at the turn, you get two back-to-back, and these are your final two. Oh, this is exciting. Okay, I'm going to pick a classic just because someone else is going to take it if I don't. And I'm going Chevy Chase, Christmas Vacation. It's such a standard. Yeah, Randy Quaid. I mean, uh, it's 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 rewatchable, infinitely rewatchable. And uh, have you seen that movies that made us? Do you know, have you watched the Home Alone one? So they were like, the Chris Columbus got hired to direct Christmas Vacation and he hated Chevy Chase so much <laughs> that he was like, I have to quit. And then John Hughes was like, all right, just direct uh, Home Alone instead. So really, what, I mean, he had the choice between two classics. Not that I'm saying Home Alone, but I should. Uh, But my pick is Christmas Vacation. Chevy Chase's career-long commitment to being a dick has shaped the arc of Hollywood more than we even know. Yes, that's, that's his mystical talent, is being such a dickhead. (laughs) <laughs> and my brother went to school with his daughter. So we, we, we knew of Chevy. We saw him around, you know, uh, town all the time. Everybody in town disliked him because he was a bad person. And at that, at their middle school play, he tripped over a wire and an entire room of adults laughed at him. Oh. And I was so proud to be human in that moment. Oh. Still got it. He, that guy could fall like nobody else. He got it. <laughs> he invented the funny fall. I don't care if he's a dick. I still like him. <laughs> I went to Cane's today, which is a chicken tender restaurant, and they have a Christmas vacation promotion where Chevy Chase's face is all over the restaurant. And apparently he's been going to different Cane's establishments and giving out food <laughs> at the drive through So I don't know if, if that's good uh, or bad for his a, career. A totally natural viral marketing campaign. Aren't those <laughs> just the best? <laughs> it's very of, awkward. Think of Canes. I mean, they're synonymous. This <laughs> <laughs> is your last pick. You got to make it count. I'm going to go with Bill Murray's Scrooged. Famous feud between Chase and Murray, and I'm going with Scrooged. I think it's it's a little darker than the rest, but... I watch it every year and it holds up. So that's my final pick. It's it's a, a take on the Christmas Carol. It gives you what you want. A lot of fun. Also, Bill Murray punched Chevy Chase in the face during a taping of SNL. So bonus points. Awesome. What? Man, could you imagine being on SNL in the 80s with all that cocaine flowing <laughs> through everybody's system? Everybody's writing jokes at like 3.30 in the morning. I just truly, what a time to be alive. I have been in Hollywood for... 12 years now. I've never even seen cocaine. But you talk to anyone on SNL and they were like, every fucking drawer you opened had cocaine in it. Filled to the brim. 
I'm like, what, what different? It was such a different time. I don't see anyone do any drugs now. <laughs> just a loser. I don't know. They don't make them like that anymore. They don't. <laughs> All right. So, uh, B, this is your final pick. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so this is my final pick. So, with my first two picks, I went with classic, you know, commercially crowd pleasers in Die Hard and Elf. Now I'm picking one for me. And that is going to be with my last pick, Scent of a Woman, which takes Ooh. place over the Thanksgiving break as Charlie needs to take care of uh, Al Pacino. That movie is not only one of my five favorite films of all time, it's got unbelievable rewatchability. It won Pacino his first Oscar. Obviously, he should have won long before that, but still points. And it just gave us like, that was the the coming out party for Old Man Gravelly. Al Pacino, like, I'm in the dark here, Charlie. <laughs> you know, that's when he became that. Before that, he was like a normal person, not an awesome character. <laughs> it also, on top of everything, features the single greatest dance scene in film history because a blind man does the tango with an unbelievably hot younger woman and she doesn't know he's blind and, and she never catches on. And that is why it's just epic and cool. I love That it. is the impassioned speech of a man who has spent the last 20 years vehemently defending that film. I love Scent of a Woman. I love the schmaltziness. I, Charlie, I'm getting that heavy feeling again. Also, a, a unbelievably good early career turn from Philip Seymour Hoffman as just a living embodiment of a prep school turd. Such a good film. I love it. And Pacino famously punched Chevy Chase on the set of SNL. So we're all. <laughs> Are you serious? No, that didn't happen. Oh, but... I was going to no, say, no, say, this guy's just going through the decades getting punched in the face. No wonder he's an asshole. Everyone's hit that. <laughs> and Eric, you'll be proud to know that the one for me pick was between Scent of a Woman and Prisoners, which also takes place, which also Jesus. starts over Thanksgiving. <laughs> that would be grim. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was I went with the happier of the one. Dude, for me, if you though. found a way to work prisoners into a holiday movie trap, <laughs> I would have voted for you on principle. Yeah, that was that was the the second choice for my last pick because it does start on Thanksgiving. But I went with scent of a woman. Uh all right, Cade. Final pick. My Wait, Eric, pick. isn't it your final pick? Aren't you no, third? I'm la- or, no, I'm third. I'm third. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, third. Yeah. My final pick, like B, I'm going full heart for this one. This is the Christmas classic that I have adopted into my lifetime. I would watch it right now if I didn't want to watch it on Christmas Day so bad. It's one of the best reviewed Christmas films of all time. It is one of the most gorgeous looking Christmas films of all time, where my first two picks have been like backdoor Christmas films, this is about the holiday and its spirit in and of itself. It's animated. It only came out a few years ago, 2019, I think, on Netflix, and that is Klaus. Are there any Klaus heads in this Zoom? Wish I could say I'm a Klaus head. Klaus, (laughs) I think, is voiced by Jason Schwartzman, um, and it's about a mailman who gets sent up to faraway land, and it eventually is like a folklore retelling of the Christmas myth. And it's just, it's beautiful. It's one that I, I'm planning to show to my kids. Whereas I've been saying like, oh, I love Batman and Spielberg and just kind of being a dick about it. This one is like the holiday spirit and magic that we all feel. And that's why I think that, I think that's something that gets lost in the Harry Potter is a holiday Christmas franchise is that the magic evoked in Harry Potter films is a cousin of the magic of the holiday season. 
And I think that that's why those two seem to go hand in hand. And so Klaus is that spirit encapsulated. It makes you feel like, man, I'm feeling Christmassy as fuck right now. Like I just want a Christmas all over the place. And that's just it. If you've never seen it, B, uh, if you and your girl have not seen it, I can guarantee you that that will rock it up to the top of her list. I haven't is- seen it, but I've heard nothing but good things. I just want to quickly interject that that is what you say on Hanukkah, too. We just want a Hanukkah all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm half Jewish. I say it half the year. There I- you go. <laughs> that's it. We have more in common than we think. So, yeah, that's my final pick. Klaus Kate, have you seen Klaus? I have it. I, I had it like on my list of things to watch the year it came out. But Oh, my God. A bunch of fucking film cavemen on this podcast. Can we watch it now? Do we have time on the podcast to watch <laughs> live and do a, a live commentary? All right, Cade. So I have a few uh, that I'll just rattle off real quick. Um, I, I looked at Eight Crazy Nights, the animated Adam Sandler movie. It has a 12% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's, I watched that's, it. On- that's absurd. And it's, it was on my list. And that's a horrible Rotten Tomatoes you know, indictment. <laughs> that movie's great. I, I saw it when I was really, really young on, on uh, Comedy Central. And I was like, this is pretty good. I didn't know this existed. So I, I enjoy that one. Uh, Knives Out, I think, is like definitely a Thanksgiving movie. Like, I think that whole movie encapsulates the arguing between families. It's set in the middle of fall. Uh, there's a murder. Uh, Does Thanksgiving <laughs> take place in the film? Because if not, I don't think that you could argue it, it doesn't. Takes that's, place. Why, that's why I'm doubting. Okay. Yeah, I don't oh. know about that one because I think that you could easily argue that that's like October 17th. Sure, that's fair. <laughs> Very specific. Say the word Thanksgiving in the movie because that's the really the only criteria. If you say the word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think they do. So fair enough. So you uh, just saw leaves changing and you're like, nice. That's and the, the family dynamics of it all. Uh, and then uh, this does lead into my next one. Brandon already said it. Spider-Man. I, I think that movie is a Thanksgiving movie. The parade fight that they have was originally supposed to be the Macy's Day Parade, but it changed somewhere along the way. I think due to legal reasons, I don't think they can use that without copyright stuff. Um, and then obviously the Thanksgiving scene at the end of the movie uh, is awesome. And I think it's it just like, obviously I've never sat at a table across from a supervillain at Thanksgiving. Personally, I don't know about you guys, but um <laughs> is- my father-in-law <laughs> See, that's why this is kate kate is just tossing softballs and jordan's cracking them right out of the park hollywood no one <laughs> me. i'm the best writer out <laughs> no you are right though like that maybe not your father but like the the uh there is that dynamic of like there's someone across the table you don't want to talk to and then uh they're weird and there's just natural tensions with your family at Thanksgiving. And I think it works well. And then uh, uh, it's just it's just a good vibe. I love that movie. I love watching it at Thanksgiving. Are you taking that? I'm going to, yeah. So that's your third and final pick. Spider-Man at Thanksgiving. The other one I was going to do was The Grinch with Jim Carrey. Okay. Uh, and I, I, I couldn't decide if I wanted to do that. I like to have Spider-Man on the list because I'm a Spider-Man fan. I will say I'm (laughs) so basically everything on my list was taken except bad Santa Iron Man Mm three and the nightmare before Christmas B, what of yours were Uh, what was left home alone bad Santa prisoners plane you plane trains you got home alone Two, the family man uh, jingle all the way those were the ones that weren't taking crazy nights you know were mentioned I had 
Jingle All the Way, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah. Oh, how yeah, could yeah, I forget yeah. that one? That was a classic. Ghostbusters 2 and uh, Gremlins. Good picks. Perfect. All right. Well, hopefully when we reconvene for a holiday podcast next year, we could add the binge to it's a wonderful binge to our list. Jordan, that hits Hulu on Friday, December 9th. Is there anything that you'd like to share? Anything that you'd like to say, except check it out. Just check it out. There's a killer owl. There's grandma's on cocaine. Nick Swartzen breaks his leg. Danny Trejo plays an angel that takes Eduardo Franco from Stranger Things back in time. I, I mean, it's it. one of the best. You're good. Next year, it's going to be everyone's pick, number one. I guarantee it. Again, for real, thank you for your time. When I say congrats, I genuinely mean it. I, I love to see people live the dream, and I feel like that is what you are doing. So it's very inspiring, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. And uh, anytime, I'll come back. I, I do nothing but sit in this room full of toys. So I'll, uh, I'll be <laughs> back if you need me. As a fellow man who sits in a room full of toys, I could say your room full of toys with that Blink. Is that like a Blink-related guitar as well? Oh, see, is that Tom's back there? They're all long signatures. He only released four colors, and uh, I got them all. I don't even play guitar. That's cool. All right, Jordan. Thank you so much, man. Everyone check out The Binge 2 on Hulu on Friday, December 9th. All right, man. See you guys soon. Cheers, man. Bye. Take care, man. All right, and thank you to Jordan for joining us for our holiday movie draft. Follow Jordan at Jordan Vandina. Rhymes with vagina. Follow Brandon at great underscore Caspi. Follow Cade at Cade underscore Onder. Follow me at Eric Italiano on the podcast, Postgred Pod. Leave us a review if you haven't already. Next week's the big one, Avatar 2. Uh, it's just going to be an hour straight of me eating shit, just, <laughs> just being shamed. And me Damn. crying. So I'm seeing it next Monday. I'll share my thoughts then, and then we'll dive deep on this podcast, and I'm sure there's other stuff going on. B, if I don't see you before then, of course, I'd love to have you back, but if not, happy Hanukkah and whatnot. All right, Paul? Thank you, guys. Happy holidays to you. I hope you enjoy Christmas. We'll we'll meet somewhere in the middle. Yep. All right, y'all. Peace.